difference between what it means to be good when you're trying to be epic. Uh, no, you don't gotta believe in me. Nothing can stop me. I already said it. I'm taking everything they stole from us. Yeah. You got your problems, I'm a whole nother. I'm giving people something to believe in. I'ma show them freedom like a bone cutter. We gon' fight back. Yeah. We breaking chains over here. Yeah. And you can stay over there. Stay. Cause this is revolution mixed with execution. We insane over here. And we're back once again, only on Last Call. Last Call with the Alcohol, only on the Blue Wire Hustle Network. We're ending the year. It's, uh, well, J- the 31st, basically, it's today we're doing, as we're going up here. Well, we're going to have a brand new spanking year. A lot of big things going to be planned. Well, we're going to end this year with, well, one of my best guests, I'd say, of the past year. He's been just killing it on Impact Wrestling, and he's not afraid to speak his mind on anything and everything. I give you it is uh, you know him as Hakeem Zane when he's not in Impact Wrestling. I give you Orheat Raju. Uh, so Orheat, give some up this year for you. I mean, it's been there's been ups, there's been downs, there's been some fun things, uh, there's been tough things. How would you say this year's been for you as just in the wrestling business? Uh, it's kind of weird because I I was trying to figure out like who I got a chance to wrestle this year, and I. I got a chance to be in the ring, share the ring with some of the best talent in the game today. So that obviously is a win right there. Uh, coming straight off my, I mean, I lost the X Division Championship belt at the beginning. I think I lost it at the beginning of, no, maybe, I can't remember I lost it. Maybe it was at the end of the year. So I was coming, I was starting the year off on the downward trend, at least at impact. So that was kind of hit or miss. You know, I kind of got lost in the shuffle towards the end there. But I felt no matter what they put me in, I made it work like I have. I, I finished out my feud with TJP, and then I had the feud with Jake something. Then I had the feud with Matt Cardona, uh, and then I had some really good matches with Rocky Romero. Of course, I showed out at Slammiversary. I felt like I was the, the shining star of that match just with my antics, and then I had the, my last match was with Josh Alexander. Uh, I just felt like I had a good year of showing that you can put me in anything, and I'm going to make it work. You can put me in the ring with anybody. And I'm going to make it work. Not only will I make them look great, but I will also elevate my st- myself and look like a star at the same time. That's what I felt, at least, about this year. <laughs> I, I'm glad you brought up Rohit Raju, because this year alone, you got to wrestle Rohit Raju, El Fantasmo, and to an even extent, you know, uh, other guys from New Japan Wrestling, uh, for years, it, that was the forbidden door. People say, oh, AEW, uh, Impact. No, no, no. It was New Japan Pro Wrestling. Hated you guys. Hated, you know, Impact Wrestling. Disgust. Like, oh, you guys, you know, you're terrible, blah, blah, blah. You screwed us. And you, you got, you know, now it's everybody's back to, well, we're, hey, we're holding hands. We're dating. We're in good, a good space here. How much did you enjoy that? Getting a chance to wrestle guys that for years, people probably said to you, oh, you know, you're never going to be able to wrestle any of the Bullet Club guys. Oh, you're not going to be able to wrestle any of the Chaos guys. You guys don't get to do that. And you got to do this. Uh, it was an honor, to be honest. I've always been a fan. I started watching New Japan when Dave Finley was still a young lion. I've always been a fan of Rocky Romero. Earlier on in my career, I used to get compared to him a lot. So being able to wrestle him in a singles match and actually have some time was a huge honor for me. I made sure to tell him that after the match was done, it was a huge honor for me. Getting a chance to wrestle Juice. When I first started wrestling, Juice was still in Chicago. He got trained at the House of Truth. He was wrestling at local Michigan shows like I was, and this is when he had like the huge afro. Uh, He was still Juice Jennings, I believe, at the time. 
And then, of course, being in, I had that match. With, I, had, I had a lot of tournaments with Phantasma, I think twice. And oh, and the one with Willie Mack, him and Willie Mack was really fun. I just, it's it's an honor to be able to, to get in the ring with these guys because they've been in the ring with some of my favorite people, Naito, you know, uh, Tanahashi. They've been in the ring with some of the best, some of the greats, Okada. Uh, and, and so, but these guys are also fantastic wrestlers. So to get a chance to get in the ring and just, have some creative freedom with them. Man, it was so much fun. The tag match was very impromptu with myself and Raj against uh, Finn Juice. But man, we were cooking in there and it felt so great just to be in the ring with those guys. Finley is just, I, I always pride myself in being very crisp and very explosive, but man, he puts me to shame. He's so crisp and explosive, it's ridiculous. I really want a singles match with him. And I recently hit up Rocky and hopefully something will happen. And I uh, just kind of put my name out there like, hey, if you ever have any open spots for any of the New Japan shows in the States, please consider me because I would love to get in the ring and uh, broaden my horizon more with those guys. How tough was it this year also in terms of just for you? There's probably a lot of stuff you had planned and Impact Wrestling had planned and everybody had planned. And yet we're still dealing with COVID and, you know, now Omicron, now these new variants. You know, we're, we're seeing the NHL is shut down for a bit. NBA is, you know, now putting more quarantines. Uh, Olympics, NHL players aren't going. And even Japan, for a while, they shut down everything. You could not travel to Japan because I know the Triple G versus Murata got canceled because of that. How much does that hurt guys like you where, yeah, you're working for Impact Wrestling, but, you you know, you make money off of going doing other promotions, you know, having other, you know, shows and being a big guest star and, when these shows aren't doing shows, that means you're not making money. In all honesty, it was the exact opposite for me this year. It was last year that was really seeing the effects of COVID. I've wrestled on indie shows since, like, they started lifting up the ban on stuff. And, you know, I can't remember what the month was. Maybe it was April when Impact had their first show with fans. Uh, I mean, I was so used to wrestling with no fans because of COVID. So just getting what little that we had at least started with, I was all for it. And then just really getting back on the road, doing indie shows. I was all for that too. Glory Pro has been firing on all cylinders down there in St. Louis, man, they have had some just sold out packed shows at this venue that we do. And it's been electric. So I've honestly, I've been lucky. I haven't, I wanted, I, I didn't try to travel. I mean, my Canada shows kind of, I used to go to Canada a lot and wrestle that kind of obviously, got the kibosh got put on that i haven't tried to go to the uk yet that is one of my goals is to try to go to the uk in 2022 um just stuff like that so hopefully with all this new stuff that's going on it won't shut any of those plans down i know last time we talked i always said to me your best match was you versus laredo kid because everything went bad and you still made it look good i changed my mind on that to me, I think the best best match, and I'll say this here, people call me crazy. You, Chelsea Green, to me, was the best match I've ever seen because you couldn't, you, she can't do a lot of stuff that you want to do. You probably are looking at going, oh, crap, I really don't want to hurt her. And yet you guys made it work. You made it almost like, oh, crap, this is pretty, you know, exciting here. How tough was that going, looking back, wrestling, you know, a, a female who's not, you know, this big, you know, manly woman. She's very petite. Wrestling somebody who you look at them going, okay, crap, I don't want to get hurt. And, uh, that, that can happen because it is pro wrestling. And yet still pulling it off where people were just hot for the match. And you went, oh, crap, they actually like this. This could have sucked ass and swallowed. And yet 
that you actually like this day match. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie, man. And I, I don't want to sound like an egotistical prick, but it was not hard. I fancy myself on telling stories in the ring where that's not the cool stuff anymore. A lot of it's fireworks and stuff like that. I am a very hated individual, whether people hate Rohit Raju or they can't tell the difference between the real person and the character. There, we had a meet and greet at Impact, and I'll, and I'll go into the story with Chelsea in a minute. But uh, we had a meet and greet, and I remember fans wouldn't even talk to me. There was fans that wouldn't even speak to me because they did not want my autograph because they disliked me so much. So I thought that was kind of cool, uh, but it you know dipped into my pockets a little bit. But so people, I think I've mastered that role where people want to see me get my butt kicked. And they really wanted to see Chelsea kick my butt. And Chelsea's good. I mean, I, I, there was nothing I knew that we wouldn't, we, we wanted to make it make sense. We wanted it to, you know, I don't want her power bombing me and suplexing me and stuff like that. Teach their own of people that like to do that type of stuff with, you know, intergender wrestling. But the, way, the story we had, none of that would have made sense. So we wanted to make it make sense and go with the story that we were telling. And it did. Uh, and I, I think people really, the way it went down, I, I think people really enjoyed it. I came out being hated, you know, even more hated. And then she came out being more beloved. So it just worked out the way we wanted it to. And that whole feud with Cardona, that was a one-off on paper. We were supposed to have the one match and that was it after the backstage segment, but it was so good. We, I think it was Cardona that asked for more. He's like, Hey, let's make this make a little bit more sense. And we just ran with it. And then it, it culminated, it com, uh, ended up being, we finished it off with the no DQ match, which was really fun and awesome and also brutal. But man, and I thought we told a good story there. And yeah, I, I don't know, man. It was just, I think same thing with the Chelsea match and, and the whole thing with the uh, Cardona feud, it just worked. And we knew what we were doing. And I love to tell the stories in the ring. That's one of my favorite things about professional wrestling. And that's one of those things I think I do really well. I'm glad you brought that whole part up, but also the fan thing, because we've seen now this year, maybe it's because fans got back into it after being not in the, not in the arenas. We saw it with an AEW, Chris Jericho, MJF, where a fan almost got into the ring, and that got people get nervous. You saw it at first, you know, you saw it on TV with Seth Rollins walking on WWE show to the back. Fan, get, you know, basically sprints from one end to the other and tackles them. It still happens. I mean, and you guys ever get worried about it? like, oh crap, they don't get it. I mean, like, this is, you know, this is nice. I'm glad you guys hate me, but you know, I'm not Rohit Raju all the time. I my name is Akeem Zane here. I'm not, you know, this kind of person when I'm off off camera here. And sometimes you'll see people and you get to see their beach fans don't care either. They don't get it, or they just they're a little bit, you know, weird. Do you ever get nervous that? you might be the next one attacked because it's just either security breaks down or it's somebody who just knows how to hide. Next thing you know, you're getting tackled. You have no idea what the hell just happened. No, I, I don't. I don't. I, I'm leery of it because I know how fans, how passionate fans can be and they can get lost in the moment, lost in the character, lost in the emotion itself. Uh, I would honestly, I mean, I would hope I wouldn't get caught off guard like Seth did. I mean, that guy smashed him, you know? I mean, people are like, oh, man, Seth should have whooped No, he got – the guy hit him like a linebacker, and that was a big – you know, he's a thick boy. So, I mean, I, it is what it is. What can you do in that situation? Hopefully, if it never happened to me, I could come out swinging because I would definitely 
not want to be disrespected like that by any human being, by whether it's a fan or a person walking up to me on the street. But you never know what you're dealing with and who you're dealing with. You know, you can catch one and boom, lights out. That happens to anyone. That can happen to anyone at any given moment, whether it's a wrestler, a fighter, a fan, like I said, or a person walking down the street. I've, I've been punched in the mouth on accident by this drunk guy before and busted my nose wide open. Sucker went to hit the guy behind me. Sucker punched me right in the face. Wham. And uh, yeah, so that sucked. But I mean, it can happen. It happens. It can happen to anybody. So I don't get scared of that. I do try to be aware of my surroundings and the situations and the fans that are kind of getting mouthy and heated. A lot of times you can kind of get in their face and you can you can gauge it, you know, if they're all talk or, or what, but I don't try to instigate it. I try to instigate it to a point, obviously, because it's my job, but I don't try to instigate it to the point where I'm trying to start a riot. Back in the day, that was that was something, you know, get that real good old school heel heat nowadays, lawsuits, all that good stuff, cancellations and all that. So you can't really go all out like you used to. And I get that part. I guess, as I said, I grew up maybe a little bit different. I remember still, this is how old I am. I remember watching Monica Sells get attacked. And that was with a knife, and you're going, oh, crap. If they wants who, to get who got attacked? Monica Sells, a tennis star, years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. She got stabbed. That was crazy. So you and I both know how this works sometimes. If it, there's not much security, fans can literally or almost get right up, get you know, hop this little barricade, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, the animals got out of the pen. Watch out. And yes, you can give a free shot, but you have no idea what this person's doing here. No, they could be crazy. They could they could stab yeah. you, shoot you, throw something on you. You honestly don't know. It's it's wild. You just gotta have that faith that these fans are in it for the show and that um I, I've seen parents get upset. They'll bring their kid to the show and you'll tell their kid to shut up if the kid's being loud or something like that. I've seen parents get hot, like, don't tell my kid to shut you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, dude, know what you're getting into. If your kid's going to be talking mess, then obviously the wrestler is going to talk mess back to him. As long as he doesn't say anything so overboard, but you, you, there has to, you can't, you can't just be able to do and say whatever you want with no repercussions. There has to be something. And if you're a fan, I remember watching wrestler, uh, fans jump in the ring back in the day and everybody was putting boots to them. You know what I mean? The, the referee, the ring announcer, the wrestler, the wrestler's opponent, stuff like that. So just stay in your lane, stay on the that side of the barricade, just enjoy the show. Don't be an idiot. Last two questions for me before I let you go. Uh, Ring of Honor's no more. Um, I know they said they might come back in April, but it's for it, it's gone for good. How tough is that for somebody like yourself, where every wrestler you want as many promotions as possible, because then you can you know negotiate with Impact or WWE or AEW. MLW go, hey, I have another offer. Hey, these guys are interested. Hey, they're offering more money here. You got to, you know, match it up. When you see a Ring of Honor, you know, go under business, how tough is that for you going, oh, crap, that's one more negotiation, you know, tool or one more, you know, company that I could use negotiations that they're not there. And that's also a lot of friends, I'm guessing, of yours who are probably Ring of Honor. They don't have a job. So how tough was that for you watching them go under and you're like, oh, man, this sucks. It sucks on many different levels. It sucks because Ring of Honor was one of the first places that gave me the, the chance to perform on a high-level stage. I met so many great people when I was going to the Ring of Honor camps. I got such great advice. I was I wrestled for them several times. I made an impression on them several times. 
And man, I wouldn't take any of that back. That was, I was a place I wanted to be, you know, for the longest time I, I wanted to be at Ring of Honor. And I thought for sure, like, oh, I'm definitely going to get there. So I can do nothing but thank them for all the years of all the great shows that I used to go to as a kid and just all the great um, matches and wrestlers that have gone in and out of there. So that's number one. Number two, it sucks because all these people are losing their jobs and the wrestling world right now, there's like nowhere to go. How many more people can AEW pick up? Like what, WWE released 100 people, then you have an entire roster of people getting let go or whatever's going to happen. What else can you do? There's nowhere else to go. You have companies like NWA and MLW really trying to break ground, and I, and I hope they do because we need more than just AEW and Impact and WWE. And WWE right now, they have like that weird policy with – you can't be under this height and you can't like just, you know, weird restrictions. So like, that's not the place to go anymore unless you meet those requirements or you want to do something totally different than what you're doing now. And then AEW, that used to be the place to go. I mean, it still is, but who knows how many guys they're going to be picking up. They were at first, they were picking up all these great indie stars trying to make names out of them. But now are they going to continue to do that? Are they going to be picking up Ring of Honor guys? Are they going to be picking up WWE guys? NWA, what are, you, what are they going to do? So it's it's like, damn, what's Impact going to do? There's so much talent and not enough places to go, not enough places to perform your craft at a high level where you're on TV every week and stuff like that and make awesome money. And then there's the other factor. It's like, man, it sucks seeing these people lose their jobs, but I don't want them eating off my plate. You know what I mean? As selfish as that sounds. And I'm pretty sure they don't want me eating off their plate. So it's like, man, if I'm trying to carve a niche in this sport for myself, get a spotlight put on me, and then so-and-so gets released, and next thing you know, Impact brings them in. Oh, guess what? Back down. the. It's like Andy's toys, pretty much. Ooh, new shiny toys. I'm going to put down my old toys and play with these new toys until these new toys either leave or they get old. Then I might pick up the, the old toys again and do something with them. Oh, you know, there's new shiny toys again. So I'm going to put those toys down. So it's kind of like, what can you do right now in professional wrestling? And there's so much talent. Like even me right now, my, my contracts, I don't know what's happening with impact. My contracts up in a few days next week. I don't know if they're going to resign me or not. I have no idea. We've already talked and who knows what's going to happen. It didn't honestly didn't sound that promising. So I don't know. Who knows? Uh, Obviously I want to stay with the company, but you don't know. There's, there's other fish that they might try to pick up. So You honestly don't know what's going to happen at the end of the day right now with professional wrestling. We need NWA and MLW to become the impacts and the, the ring of honors. And then we need the impacts and, and to get higher up and we need promotion. So this, all this talent that's just swimming out in the ocean can get picked up somewhere and, and perform and show the world why they're good and show them something different. We need that. We need another million, a million millionaire or billionaire to start up another huge wrestling company. So if there's any out there listening to this, come on, guys, get with it. We need, uh, we need some new, um, new rings to wrestle in. So let's get something together. <laughs> Why do this? It, it doesn't pay. It, it's you're not getting rich off of this. Most wrestlers don't get rich. It, it, it's just like MMA. You know, if you think you're getting rich in the sport, you're crazy as you know as can be. You have people who will just hate on you at times because you're doing your job successfully you 
And I love how every wrestler, every, every boxer, every you know, even MMA fighter says, oh, yeah, we're fine, we're healthy. It's like, no, no, no. Your body's, you know, probably screaming at you. You're on painkillers here. You're probably downing some, you know, Pepto-Bismol because you're just, you know, torn up. It's a brutal industry because you're always getting, you know, you guys are getting hurt because you're putting yourself through the grinder. Why the hell do you do this? I mean, you can, there's easier ways to make money here at 15. But what yeah, is it about not, this amount of wrestling where you're like, I can't get rid of it. I keep trying to leave when you motherfuckers pull me back in. God damn it, let's do this one more time. I'm not at that point where I want to leave. I There's no place I want to be at than in the ring. Uh, wrestling's bittersweet. You have the highs are high and the lows are low. And man, sometimes like, like when you know your worth, you know your value and you can't get other people to see your worth or your value, man, that is a tough pill to swallow. It is. It's hard, man. It's really hard. But then when you're in the ring, whether it's at an indie show, whether it's in front of thousands of people or whatever, and you walk through that curtain and music hits, there's no place else I want to be. I love professional wrestling. I don't like, like I said, I don't like most of the stuff that surrounds it. I hate all the politics. I hate all the the BS and the nonsense and the fake, just the fakeness of people. I mean, but you're going to get that wherever you go. But I mean, that's some of the stuff I honestly can't stand. Like there's like a handful of people within locker rooms that I honestly trust or believe in. You know what I mean? Maybe I can count them on two hands, but there's so many fake people, whether they're pushing the pencil or handing you money or, um, shaking your hand whatever it is there, there's just so much fake fakeness out there but like i said you're gonna find that in any industry you go in but it's the love man it's the love i love professional wrestling there's nothing else i want to do in life i want to pass it on to the next generation and i always want to be a part of it and you're right it's definitely not paying bills like it should it's that's definitely not happening but i absolutely love professional wrestling and if i wasn't doing professional wrestling i'd be something else dumb be doing something else down to my body, like MMA or boxing or bodybuilding shows where I have to cut all this weight and all this crap and put my body through this, that, and the other, because I can't sit still. At the end of the day, I, I don't want to sit down until everything's done, and I have to keep going. I have to keep moving. I have to have that sense of adventure in my life, and professional wrestling has always been the thing ever since I was a kid that has fulfilled that need of adventure, and now the fact that I am a professional wrestler I'm not going to stop until I turn to dust. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, you can check him out. As of now, Impact Wrestling, and he'll be and, – and now there's a big hard-to-kill pay-per-view. Are you going to be on the hard-to-kill pay-per-view yet? Have they announced nope. if you're on that card? I, as far as I know, I will not be there in January. So well, who knows? They're I... still working on that thing. Just, as I said, there's a lot of you know moving parts, and I'm, I'm guessing they'll eventually be on. But once again, ladies and gentlemen, I give you – it is uh, – you don't – as – Hakeem Zane and other places that give you Rohit Raju. Uh, before we let you go, where can fans check you out at? The, the YouTube channel, Twitter, Instagram. Like where can fans hit you up at? Well, you, of course, you can uh, at Hakeem Zane, H-A-K-I-M, uh, on Twitter. Raju Zane 80 on Instagram. You can look up Rohit Raju on – I do have a, a channel on YouTube, which is very lacking, and I got to get on that. Uh, you might still be able to catch me. Every Thursday night on Access TV on Impact Wrestling or YouTube on Impact Wrestling. We'll see. And then, of course, I'll be scattered about the indies. 
uh, for I'm in Chicago next weekend at AAW defending the Heritage Championship belt against Ace Austin and Myron Reed, two outstanding professional wrestlers. That's going to be a banger of a match right there. And you can even find me on Cameo if you want to tell your husband that he's getting fat and he needs to lose the weight and hit the gym, or you want to tell your wife that her cooking isn't great or whatever, or you just want, to, want me to wish somebody a happy birthday, hit me up on Cameo. And, of course, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Rohit. Rohit Raju, ladies and gentlemen, once again, always on a pleasure. Have you on the show. We come back. We got a lot more going on here. It's the last episode of the year. We have New Year's coming up very soon. Only on Last Call. Last Call, yeah, only on the Blue Wire Hustle Network. Once again, only on Last Call. Last Call with the Alcohol, only on the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And now joining me here, we had earlier in the hour, we had, of course, Akeem Zane, a.k.a. Uh, Rohi Braju. Always love having him on the show. And now joining me on the line, uh, this man, it, it was, it's been a wild roller coaster. You were ups or downs. He's been covering the team. He's been dealing with COVID and all that crap. Well, the Kansas City Chiefs will be heading to the playoffs once again. The NFC, the sorry, AFC West champions, six times down in a row. I give once again one of the men who covers the Chiefs knows everything about it. I give you it's none other than Ron Cop. Uh, Ron, so is this probably the most unlikely way you've seen them dominate in terms of everything we talked about in the preseason? We talked about what was going to happen, what was going to go on. How weird has this team been so far in terms of what they've done, what they've gone through, and how they sort of have re, you know, reborn themselves? Yeah, you're right in terms of just I think that this this last these last few years, the Super Bowl run and, and last year's run to the Super Bowl and then losing ultimately felt like this team was was kind of um, you know impen- impenetrable at times. They're just kind of you know uh, just couldn't be beat at times. You know, last year they only lose one. A true regular season game. The other losses in the you know the the game where the rest and their starters, and then you know going into the Super Bowl they were winning nine straight games, including the playoffs. So yeah, going into this season, it just didn't seem possible that they could have a stretch like they had early and in, in, in the middle of the season where at times the offense just you know Mahomes just didn't look like himself. He he really hadn't been playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the league for most of this year. Um, but we're, you're seeing now exactly why everyone was so confident in them is because. Man, when everyone is playing well, when Mahomes is playing confidently and comfortably, it makes everyone else play well. And this defense, we always we, we always knew kind of before the season, we always knew this defense could be more talented than any in the Mahomes era. And I think it's proven now that, you know, with everyone healthy now, I think it's proven that that it is uh, the best unit in the, in the era since Mahomes has started. So, 
yeah, no, it, it is kind of weird how we got here, but this is kind of where we all, the Chiefs fans and, and the Chiefs themselves will always expected to be first seed in the AFC and, and a chance to kind of play uh, without their starters in week 18, depending on what happens this weekend. So what happened? Like, what, what was the reason behind the early struggles? Was it just training camp? Was it, you know, having too many, not, you know, having that lack of that last game? Because, you know, that some coach like, okay, well, we're not going to do this. We're not going to, you know, do too much here. We're going to do more practices and game experience. Like, what happened that made them just come out of a gate and go, eh. Yeah, you know, it, at first it was the defense, obviously. The defense was just horrific at the beginning of the season. Uh, the offense was actually, you know, playing at a historic pace in the first four games, the, qu- the first quarter of the season. It just didn't turn into wins because of how bad the defense was playing. So at first it was the defense, right? They make some adjustments there with personnel, uh, you know, benching Sorensen for Juan Thornhill is one of those decisions. Obviously getting Melvin Ingram. Uh, back helps that or getting Melvin Ingram to the team uh, helps that and then Chris Jones they tried to move him into defensive end at the beginning of the season uh, mainly because of Frank Clark's absence in my opinion but I think it was more of an experiment and they realized that we're just not going to do that experiment anymore we're going to leave Jones where he's at his best and Frank Clark obviously is healthy and playing his some of his best football right now so on defense that that it's just turned around because of that but in terms of why the offense was playing and, 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 you know, playing roughly at times this season, I think it all really comes down to just Patrick Mahomes. And he's had these little stretches throughout his career. Um, and, and the team's been good enough to kind of overcome them at times. But, man, sometimes he just does not manage the pocket well at all. Just really just uh, does not in terms of um, forcing things downfield, does it a little too much. Maybe just doesn't take the, check the, take the underneath stuff like he should at times just a little bit. Um, you know, he just he's just a little impatient in that way because of his abilities. So, that came out, came about in, a, in, in that middle stretch of the season when they were kind of losing the offense, wasn't doing much. It really was on him. And now that he's playing better, all of a sudden you're seeing the offense look a lot easier, a lot smoother. It, it, you know, the run game looks better too because of all that. Yeah, it was all because it's, it's all on Mahomes whether he's playing well or not. And right now he's, he's back to playing at the MVP or, you know, one of the best kind of quarterbacks in the league type of level that he just really flat out wasn't playing like earlier in the year. Let's talk about one guy that you mentioned that a lot of us, you know, guys coming in, guys coming out, guys taking steps up. Uh, Nick Bolton, that's one of the guys I don't really talk Chiefs defense. A lot of people say he's been one of the bigger stars for them in terms of, around, you know, around basically the field. He's just he been for that team in terms of having that, you know, sort of rover linebacker at times who can play inside, play outside, has speed. He isn't just like, okay, he can go up and down and side to side. Over. Yeah, that's, it was that's evident from the very start of this year that Bolton just had this this killer instinct, this natural instinct as a run defender, whether in the running back face to face or flying off tackle and flying to, to meet that, you know, the running back kind of chase him down on those off tackle runs. He just has such natural instincts in the run game. And, and that's why he leads the team in tackles by yeah, like 30 or 40 tackles. It's it's incredible, uh, you know, how much he's been able to do as a rookie this year. And the Chiefs have really needed his, his presence in that run game. It's really helped them turn around what was at first this season, one of the worst run defense in the entire NFL. Lately, because of his, I think, improvement in the run game, as well as other things, obviously, but but he's just been playing a lot more. He just understands the defense more, and you can see him more and more making those tackles at the line of scrimmage. Um, he, he he is still technically a backup to Anthony Hitchens. Uh, Hitchens was hurt for, for some of this year, including that Tennessee Titans game, which all of a sudden Nick Bolton comes in has 15 tackles with five tackles for loss. It's been something here in Kansas City where we, we do want to see Bolton maybe play that, that Mike position that Hitchens is starting over him right now, but it's a veteran. Spags has always trusted Hitch in that in that role. Um, Hitch does just obviously as a, as a younger player, seems to be more quicker to the ball, uh, just a little bit harder of a hitter. And Hitch, what Hitch has in, in veteran experience, I don't think it outweighs Bolton's play enough to where uh, Bolton shouldn't be playing 
you know, the vast majority of snaps, the entire, the, the entire allotment of the snaps, because they have another linebacker in Kansas City, Willie Gay, that Bolton's been a really good player, but then we'd like to see, but he's going to be a guy that in the next few years is going to be, you know, a three down linebacker in Kansas City for sure. Give me the players you feel were sort of the big surprises this year. And you talked, you know, earlier in the year, you know, we actually mentioned a couple people here. I don't get pretty good. Some were not. Uh, give me like a handful of guys, three or four of you looked at this. They don't get enough credit. Yeah, absolutely. The wide receiver position right now has always been in, in fly that's proven himself. Uh, you know, uh, players like McCole Hardman, former second round pick of his now. A guy like Byron Pringle, who we saw have a big game against the Steelers uh, to ha- kind of help in Travis Kelsey's absence due to COVID. Um, Byron Pringle, two touchdowns on 75 yards, six catches. Uh, his first career multi-touchdown game. He's always been a guy that I've vouched for to have more playing time. A guy that uh, just seems to have, you know, in turn, just, just a reliable guy getting the ball in his hands, not, you know, uh, breaking some tackles, uh, just being strong with the ball in his hands. He's a guy that I'm, I'm glad to see a little more um, payoff because he's, he's been a special teamer and a guy that, that really has contributed behind the scenes more than anything in his Chiefs career. When you look at the defensive side of the ball, when you're talking about surprise, man, I think Traverius Ward is having one of the best seasons uh, as, as, of a guy that's going to become a cornerback uh, coming up in the free agency class. He's going to be one of the most coveted cornerbacks in free agency this year based on how he's playing. And it, it, it kind of stinks for Kansas City because I don't know if – I, I don't think they're going to, you know, be able to match that contract offer. But just on how he's been playing this year, he's been exceptional covering guys. You know, he, I know Aaron Rodgers wasn't playing, but it really stood out against Devontae Adams a few weeks ago. Then it's just really caught fire and snowballed since. He's really made plays since. Made a great interception on Big Ben last week uh, on an attempt at Deontay Johnson. He's been making plays, and, and along with Snead and Rashad Fenton, who's – Fenton's been another surprise at the cornerback position – the Chiefs' secondary is, is a just in general a position where you didn't you didn't think much of going into the season. Now all of a sudden, those three guys that I mentioned, Rashad Fenton, Traverius Ward, and Jerry Sneed, Sneed especially, I think he's been the best of the group. Those three are playing really well, and and are a main reason why the defense has been so good down the this stretch of the season. Who been who? Give me the guys who, and I hate I know you hate doing this, but who have been the guys that you think have really been you know disappointments i mean i know it's tough when you look at this team because they're humming along but they're much to see but who are gonna some players you look at and go okay they have they, they weren't as good as a, they didn't have as good a year as i expected or man they really just fell off a cliff a bit yeah you know the the, the thing is at the beginning of the year you could, you could have pointed out a lot of disappointments right i mean uh you know one guy that you, you could point to maybe it was chris jones a defensive end uh you know wasn't having much production at all on that position that it seemed like he did want to play a little bit. He was kind of vouching for a little bit, um, but ever since he moved back into defensive tackle, he's been great. Jaron Reed was a guy earlier in the season that, uh, you know, he was a, he was a kind of a big signing in the off season, a, a former Seattle Seahawk interior pass rusher. Wasn't doing much beginning of the season. Now he's turning it on and all of a sudden making plays. He had the, the fumble recovery and he's had out some other plays in this recent stretch. So in terms of true disappointments, man, I mean, I mentioned McCole Hardman earlier He's kind of the guy that, that comes to your forefront of your mind in, in Chiefs Kingdom uh, when you talk about disappointments. Uh, not just because, uh, and this is a sore subject for, for most Chiefs fans, but uh, the fact that, you know, some of the receivers taken around him, you, you see guys like Terry McLaurin and DK Metcalf get taken uh, behind McCole Hardman. Um, not just because of that, those expectations. Just because it seems like he still hasn't progressed into a guy that they can trust to actually win as a true wide receiver. All of this production, if you watch a Chiefs game, all of this production comes from either a jet sweep or a reverse or a quick, a quick screen to the outside. It is never a true pass pattern, a true, uh, you know, uh, he wins on a slant or, or he wins on a, a sideline pattern and, and makes a catch on the sideline. No, it, it really is usually just a, you know, quick screens, uh, you know, design plays. He, he really has become more of a gadget player than a true wide receiver. And that is disappointing when you think about 
a second round pick. The only time Brett Veach has used that high of a pick on a wide receiver in his career so far. And it hasn't turned into much, but a guy that can make a play for you every once in a while, but not a guy you can, can trust to step up uh, in, in the case of if Hill, which he almost did had to miss the last game. If that has to happen again, uh, Hardman is not the guy that, that anyone should be looking for to step up at this moment. I'm glad you brought uh, Hill COVID. It's become a pain in the ass for all the teams. And you dealt with it here. I know that you and a lot of the reporters deal with it. Is it time for the NFL? I, don't, and I know I hate being the guy who says, oh, maybe we shouldn't test, but should they lean off some of these tests when you're dealing with guys who are getting popped and there's no symptoms, they're fine, they're healthy, they're, and, and most of these athletes are the least likely to get hospitalized. They are in shape under the age of 30, well under the age of 50, you know, you know, athletic guys who are, you know, active here. Is the NFL going overboard sometimes all, you know, COVID you know, stuff? Oh, we got to have, you know, quarantine, you got to have five days off, even when you boost a shot or even when you have this. And yeah, they're healthy. I mean, it's not like they're, you know, sick as a dog. It's like, well, yes, we have COVID. You have any symptoms? No. Nope. Well, you're still on the, on the list. Next thing you know, you have teams almost being suspended or being almost having to have a game pushed back to Wednesday because, well, half the team has COVID. Yeah, no, yeah, that's the thing with the, the COVID situation right now is just that every league, no matter what the situation is, even businesses, I mean, everyone's just trying to kind of figure out exactly how to handle it. And, it, and it's going to be an evolutionary process in terms of there is going to be a time, and, and it sounds like, you know, today that they, they did pass, you know, they're having some protocol changes to kind of, uh, you know, adjust to, to what's been going on like you're talking about. But it is just going to be a thing where it, it, there isn't going to be, you know, it, it's going to happen. There's, there's things that are going to be changing and, and the NFL is just trying to adapt as it goes. Um, yeah, I agree. I think if you're asymptomatic, um, I think they're, they're starting to prove that it, it doesn't sound like you're, you're much of a threat to be spreading it. Um, if you are vaccinated and asymptomatic, you know, the unvaccinated is obviously a different story a little bit, but yeah, I, I'm, I, I do think the NFL has been handling it though as best they can. Uh, you know, I, th I think NFL teams, it hasn't killed anybody too much yet. I know there've been huge, uh, implications uh, to them but you know this is everyone kind of signed up for this everyone kind of knew this, this was a possibility and it, it really impacted last season and it's impacting this season too but I, I still think when you look at like how last season ended and how this season's unfolding it still feels like the best teams are still in the best positions to, to make runs and, and COVID isn't taking anybody necessarily out you know Carson Wentz is a huge deal right I think that's something that we have to monitor but it seems like all the NFL teams are, are still the, the good teams are still in position to make those runs no one's you know being unfairly uh, you know, impacted by COVID. So it, it's one of those things where I, you know, the NFL, I'll, I'll, it, it's going to change, you know, it's not going to be something that it's, they're going to get perfect right now, right away, but it, it's going to keep changing. But until then, I think they're doing a, a good enough job for, for what they can expect to be doing with all the craziness of it. Speaking of jobs and everything here, uh, there's now a bunch of open jobs here and Jacksonville's one of them. The Raiders have a job opening up. You have possibly the bears. You got, and all these teams now can start interviewing. Is this going to be the year that, that, that basically the Chiefs – and they've already lost their linebacker coach. He's head down to LSU as a defensive coordinator. But do you feel this is the year that Eric Bieniemy gets a head coaching job finally? You know, I, I really I really want to say yes. I really do. I You know, I've said yes every year because it always has appeared to me that he makes sense to, be, to lead an NFL team. Uh, I, you see all these other guys that get chances. I feel like he fits all the qualifications that anyone else does. He's had experience leading an offense for multiple seasons now, a handful of seasons now. He's had experience, you know, being a position coach in the NFL for a long time. He's he's coached under guys like Andy Reid, who who obviously is a is a great coach. 
um, and, and, and has seen guys under him succeed. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I do think guys like Matt Nagy, um, you know, maybe he- make teams hesitant a little bit, which is unfortunate because uh, I don't think the enemy and Matt Nagy are, are similar coaching styles at all. Um, you know, I think they're, they're similar, you know, they'll have similar play styles, but I really want to see the enemy get a job, man. I, I do think he has this other side of him that we don't see uh, as an offensive coordinator, because I do think Andy likes to keep everything, you know, close to the vest a little bit and be enemies, a, a, a team player and really doesn't let his personality show because of that in terms of, you know, I think he answers a lot of questions in cliche ways. He definitely doesn't, you know, give you a lot of information in his press conferences. I'm not sure if, if that would be the way he, he operated as a head coach. I think he'd have a better personality. He, he'd be more open maybe um, with what's going on and, and his philosophies and stuff. So, yeah, all that to say, I think Bannon would be a great fit anywhere uh, that needs a head coach. He's just a, you know, it's an overused term, but he does just seem to be a good leader of men, a guy that people are going to uh, work for and, and work hard for. And he does, he should get a lot of credit for how good the offense has been. Maybe not for the, necessarily maybe for the play calls or the, the, the designs of anything, but just keeping this offense disciplined and, and keeping this offense, uh, you know, playing at a certain level for as long as he's been the offense coordinator. I mean, it's been three, four, five seasons where this offense has been elite consistently. How do you fix it, Ben? Because he's he, a lot like with a guy up in New England by the name of, uh, well, everybody knows him as the basically little Bill, but you know how it is. Assistant coaches, you know, if the longer you teams do well, the more they go into the playoffs, the better, you know, the, the tougher it is to get jobs. Josh McDaniels can say that because when you're going deep, teams have already picked the hires. They've already said, well, we have this guy. We have that guy. Is there any way to fix it? Is there any way to just put a hiring freeze on the league? Or is that something that none of the teams want to do because nobody wants to lose out on a coach and all of a sudden find out, oh, crap, it's February. We still don't have a coach. And um, you have a draft coming up in about in a month or so. Uh, is there any perfect way just to fix it so that coaches that, you know, do well in their teams, do well into the postseason – aren't hurt because you can't hire them. You can't, you know, even officially talk to them yet. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you're right to an extent, uh, team, uh, guys like the who have to play throughout the entire playoffs are a little bit disadvantaged, but they are still able to interview and the interviewed during some of these playoffs and the, in these runs and it still hasn't gotten it. I, you know, Andy has talked about Andy Reed has talked about in his press conferences about how he does, he does think, or first of all, he just doesn't understand how the doesn't have a, you know, hasn't had an opportunity yet, but, he does think there are some issues with the fact that, you know, these, there are maybe some shortened time periods they can talk during the playoffs, uh, that kind of thing. So, no, there isn't a, there, there really isn't a perfect way to do it. Uh, we all know that. And, uh, you know, I, you'd think eventually at least one team would at least just take the chance on the enemy in terms of, hey, even if it's not the quickest or, you know, the longest interview, we don't got the longest time to take, you know, ha- spend, you know, spend time with him. You know, we know he's, he'd, he'd do a good job. Um, I know that's a really tough decision to make. You know, these teams really want to do their due diligence. They don't want to decide on something prematurely. And, that you know, hey, there are some things in the enemy's long past, you know, a, you know, a far past that, you know, could be red flags to some people. Um, but that's the thing. I, I think you could fi- probably find red flags about a lot of people, and, and it shouldn't judge a guy like the enemy who he's, it, it hasn't affected him in a long time. So, yeah, no, I, I think the enemy, uh, he, he's just a guy that, would do a good job if he gets a place somewhere, but it is going to be hard. And in these situations where you're coaching into February every single year. Yeah. Maybe. And, and, and that's the thing, you know, maybe he doesn't give his all in these interviews because he doesn't have the time and mental capacity to really be passionate about it. So it's all, it's all a process, but I, if you're the enemy, 
I think you're hanging out, you're chilling. You're not, uh, you're not too upset if uh, you don't get a head coaching job. I know you want one, but being the offensive coordinator in Kansas City is a pretty good alternative, I would say. Well, I, I will alter this on you, Ben. Is that if you're Eric Bieniemy, is there an ideal job? Because we're looking at you know jobs here so far, and yeah, you know they all have their pluses, they all have red flags, and I mean you look at the openings right now, Chicago Bears. Yes, they they have Josh Fields. Uh, they're also in a division which is highly competitive. You're not really sure if it's if they have to blow it up or if it's, is it a rebuild? Is it just sort of a, a retool? Those are a lot of questions, and they've got every seems every offense quarter goes there just dies. And plus, well, will they hire another another uh, P? You know, Andy Reid aside, that's a big question. Jacksonville, yep, they have a sexy quarterback, but they have not much talent. They got the cons running them, who well, they seem to turn every NFL every sports for every team they have into just crap on crap. Uh, Raiders. They're stuck in the division, and that division seems to be getting tougher and tougher. Is there that one job where right now, Derek, you're going, okay, this is the perfect job. This is the ideal job I would probably leave the Chiefs for that might open up this year. If you're talking about from the enemy's perspective, I think Jacksonville would be an awesome job, right? I think getting Trevor Lawrence, who I know has not looked you know, great this year. He's not looked like a number one pick necessarily this season, but I think he's had a lot of reasons, a lot of excuses not to. Um, and I do think the enemy would, would be a, you know, a good, a good leader down there that just kind of had a, the opposite of a good leader as their head coach. It'd be a good, you know, culture, uh, kind of a culture shift in terms of, you know, getting a guy that, that really does trust culture and rely on culture. And if you're the enemy, that, that team has cap space, that team is willing to spend money. Um, you know, the owners definitely want to, and you know, they got draft picks still. They, they really do. Uh, even if urban Meyer, uh, you know, used, a couple of them this year. Um, I, I think that's a good situation, but if, if I'm a team around the league, if I'm a specific team, uh, I, I think the Raiders would really should really look hard at the enemy. Why would you not want to get a, a division rivals assistant coach? You know, he has loyalty to an extent, but at the same time, once he, once he wears your colors, all of a sudden a guy that worked with Andy Reid for nine years is on the other side. And, and, and that could really be advantageous in my opinion. I don't, I, I'm, I'm very shocked that, a team like the Raiders or Chargers who have had in the Broncos too have all had cycles and opportunities to hire the enemy within the last three or four years. And none of them have done it. And, and if I'm a division rival, that's, that's the first place I'm looking to get my next head coach. If, if you're asking me. Last question for I'll let you go. And this is a weird question at first, but I want to address it here because I think that people don't understand the Kansas City Chiefs itself. What's going on here. Uh, you talk about NFL owners. And the ones that stand out here are either loud personalities like Jerry Jones, um, Daniel Snyder, Robert Ur, you know, Ursay uh, over in you know, Indianapolis, of course, Bob Kraft, or, you know, there are guys like Steve, you know, Busciotti who are in, in the know, or there are guys even like, to an, to an election, you know, a lesser extent, uh, the guy, you know, John Ross down in Miami, you know, they're big guys, they're big name people, they're flashy people here if you're in you know they're in the news you don't hear the Kansas City you know Kansas City Chiefs management in terms of that you know you never hear them you know partying with rock stars or holding court or shenanigans or just being in the media here they're a low-key group how big has that been for the success of the team how much do you, and you and you've been around them I'm guessing or you've met them what is it about the ownership of the Kansas City Chiefs, and especially Clark Hunt, that make this team go, 
like a weld old machine from the outside. They just they win championships. They don't be for the most part now have been staying out of trouble, and they don't the owner doesn't really make an ass out of himself. Well, the thing with the Hunt family is that football is is in their blood, right? I mean, Lamar Hunt uh, is one of the the founding fathers of the AFL and and one of the the richest in terms of history, uh, you know, men football has ever seen. And he owned this team, you know, up until about uh, 2006. The 2006 season is when he passed away. But just the the passion he had for football, the passion he had for Kansas City, uh, he also had – you know, he, he was instrumental in getting the, the Kansas City sporting uh, soccer team here uh, in a, kind of a big deal. So all that to say, they're very passionate about it. It's a family business. You know, uh, family business is a different is a different meaning than just anyone who owns a business or anyone who just buys a team like you see with these other teams. You know, some 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 guys, some owners are just businessmen that happen to buy a football team. You know, Clark Hunt, the chief CEO and owner, uh, he, he, the son of Lamar Hunt, who, you know, he's the acting owner now, obviously. You know, he, he was born and raised in, in Arrowhead Stadium. You know, he was running around Arrowhead Stadium, you know, from, from when he was a child, and, and now he's the team running it. So I think that that's, that's what creates culture. And that's why, you know, sometimes I, I, I have to pinch myself and, and realize how special of a pairing it is to have that, that, that foundation of culture from the Hunt family while also bringing in Andy Reid from the coaching side of it, the player side of it, the, the on-field side of it, having the culture he brings – the combination of those two is exactly how this team has, has become one of the elite franchises in the NFL. And, it, and it's how they, they can corral guys and, and, and get the most out of players. You know, Patrick Mahomes is, is the NFL's best quarterback, in my opinion. But, you know, it, maybe he doesn't look as impressive if he's in a different culture, a uh, different team, different organization. It gets the, the, this organization, this culture gets the most out of guys. And, and, I, and I think I, I like your question because I, I do think it does start with, with an ownership's willingness to, to make a team feel like more than just a business, more than just a, a corporation, you know, trying to make some money. It's, it's a, it's an actual community an actual, you know, something important to a, to a group of people. What makes Clark then humble? Cause that's a big question. And it's easy. It's, it's easy. And every, and every owner, you know, even if they love football, they all, they, there's that, you know, uh, the big brass balls as they call it. Hey, I gotta make this deal. This deal. Hey, I want to make. I want to put my hands in the pie and make some trades. I want to draft people. And it's been guys who are successful. I mean, it was uh, look from Al Davis, look from uh, Bob Kraft, Jerry Jones, with the, maybe the exception of the Roonies, who also stayed out of you know things for years. Most owners they end up getting involved. They end up just screwing things up at least once or twice because goddamn it, they they just love to. To be in front of the peacock in front of people, hey, I have this great trade. I I did this year. How is Clark? How is Clark been able to go? Okay, I'm staying the hell away from this year. You guys do your thing and not have that ego going. I want to make that trade, David. I know what's going on. I'm the owner. I'm going to run this. This is my baby. Let's make this trade. Let's draft this guy. And the hell let the football people think I know better. Yeah, I think Clark has always been humble um, and, and, and in terms of just hands off. I think he kind of learned that from his father. Lamar Hunt was not a hands on guy in terms of the football field. What Lamar Hunt did was he hired guys he trusted and then delegated that on field responsibility to them. They have great men in this in his organization's history leading the team like a Marty Schottenheimer, like a Dick Vermeil for a few years in the early 2000s. And so I think Clark Hunt and his first stint to hire a coach. He messed up a little bit. He, he, he hired Todd Haley, that the young wide receivers coach from Arizona and, and the young fiery guy that, and, and, and it kind of went down in flames because of that. Maybe, you know, Clark's not meddling with it. Right. I think Clark maybe 
you know, trusted a head coach, a, a young guy to, to handle it all. And it was a little too much for the guy. And that's why I think all that to say he comes back to, he hired Andy Reed, made the perfect hire, and then trusted Andy Reed to be the CEO and, and really, you know, make, be the decision maker for the organization. And that's the best thing he ever done. He, he ever did. So if he, if he didn't hire a guy like Andy Reed, that personality of his ownership maybe isn't as advantageous because maybe you do need to be a little more on top of your head coach if it's not as experienced of a guy. But a guy like Andy Reid can be the acting GM and head coach and all that kind of stuff at the same time, the diplomat. He can be all that at the same time because he, he already did it for a whole, you know, however many years in Philadelphia. And, and obviously it's worked out here in Kansas City. So, yeah, that, that, is, that is how Clark's process works. All right. Well, as I said, the playoffs haven't started yet, so we have to figure this up. We're definitely going to bring you back on once they start. But once again, ladies and gentlemen, we're ending the, ending the year on a high note. Now, we're always happy to have the show. I give you from, uh, well, he's all over the goddamn place. I mean, he's on more sites and more places I can keep track of. I give you uh, Kansas City Chiefs beat writer, analyst extraordinaire. I give you Ron Kopp. Uh, Ron, before I let you go, where can fans check you out at? Where is, you know, the, the links? Where is the YouTube channel? Like, where can fans check out your work and uh, either agree, disagree, or, well, get into some discussions about in polite ways, people. Polite. Let's be polite here. New year. We're yeah. going to turn it over. <laughs> no more anger. Just be polite. Absolutely. No, hey, I'll get into a, a comment feud or two if, if you want. But, uh, no, find me at arrowheadpride.com. I'm the lead analyst there. Uh, a lot of the time I'm breaking down film of the, of the games with my guys at the AP film room. We have a YouTube page uh, that comes out every Wednesday. And then we also do our, 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 uh, you know, film review articles every week and, and I'll have my opponent scout out for the upcoming opponent going out. So follow all my stuff at arrowheadpride.com on Twitter at run underscore cop K O P P. And yeah, man, anytime uh, you want to talk some football, talk some chiefs, have me on, man. Oh, we'll definitely do once the playoffs start. We got to talk playoffs. But for now, we got to wrap this up. Uh, we come back. Final thoughts of the new year in 2021, 2022, what to expect. All this and more only on Last Call. Last Call with the alcohol only on the Blue Wire Hustle Network. Back once again, only on Last Call. Last Call with the alcohol, only on the Blue Wire Hustle Network. And I want to thank my wonderful guest this week. Uh, well, you heard earlier today, once again, uh, Rohit Raju. Uh, wish him best of luck. Hopefully, Impact Wrestling understands what they have in him. Probably one of the best heels in the business. And they signed to a deal, which at least makes all parties happy. That's the best I can hope for right now in these days. And also, love talking with Ron Kopp and 
Looking forward to seeing the uh, rest of the NFL season. It's a lot of parity. Chiefs right now are, you could say, the number one team in the AFC, but it's great talking with guys who cover the teams and can give us some insight. I always love dealing with guys who know the team and know what's going on here. Always a pleasure having him on. 2022 is now going to be right around, is basically what will be happening tonight. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that a lot of things end up happening here. Let's turn our attention to boxing. I am hopeful that we end up getting a unified heavyweight champion. COVID last year prevented that. And look, it led to some great fights. It led to Fury versus Wilder 3, which I don't think anybody expected to be that good. It led to the rise of of Alexander Usyk becoming a quasi-household name. And, you know, he is just a spectacular boxer to watch, especially at heavyweight. But it's time now. I mean, there shouldn't be an excuse. And whatever happens, whether it's Dillian White versus Usyk, if White beats Fury, if it's Fury versus Usyk, if it's Fury versus Joshua, if it's Joshua versus Dillian White, it's time. We need a unified heavyweight champion. Just because there's always been only one. That's how I like look at it. That's one of the things I'm hoping. I'm hoping that 2022 brings us more great fights. And when you look at what boxing can do, when it's on, you you know, we saw some good fights this past year. But I want to see more. And I'm tired of a whole, well, we're on different networks. I'm tired of a whole, well, they're doing this, they're doing that here. You know, I'm, t- I'm just tired. I think boxing fans are tired. And with the market, I think it's time for boxing fans that, you know, we should demand better fights. For 2022, you know what? I'm being, uh, you know what? I am hoping that we get Canelo Alvarez versus David Benavidez. Or at least Canelo Alvarez versus, I'll say it. Maybe even uh, Jamal Charlo. If not, let's you know. Let's make Jamal Charlo versus Demetrius Andre. Let's make Demetrius Andre versus Triple G. You know, that's the fight people want to see made. I want to see, damn it, a a fight which a lot of people are talking about: Josh Taylor versus Boots Ennis. Two of the baddest young fighters in the business here. Uh, Look, make it happen. You know, I'm tired of people saying of networks here. Hell, you know what? If we're getting really creative and really so wild and crazy here, Javante Davis, Teofimo Lopez, just make it happen. Because all the promoters keep saying, oh, well, you know, blah, 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 and blah, 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 and, you know, forbidden door and all this here. I don't care. I want to see it happen. A lot of us do. In MMA, I want to see... CB, Bellator on CBS. Uh, CBS is some direct sometimes programming. They bought Bellator for a reason. They bought, you know, Viacom brought him in. Make the use of it. Fans would love to see more MA on a higher profile network. Showtime is what it is. Make it happen. 
For the UFC, you've now made it. You have become the household name. You are making hand over fist, you know, oodles of money here. Pay your fighters. No more fighters, you know, going on saying, I can't afford my my house payment. I can't afford this. I am broke here. I'm, you know, nearly homeless. Dana, throw me some money. Just pay them. I want to see that happen. And to every year when I cover these guests, there's I've always there's always been stories of guys who come out of a woodwork and they surprise us. Whether it's you know the Maloney brothers, whether it's got you know a young you know Deontay Wilder, whether it was even young fighters like Mark May you know May goes you know May. May may or may Sorka, or whether it's even Bellator fighters like AJ McKee. There's always a story to tell. There's always their story. And then the fans are gonna save me and I'm gonna do it. Hey Chris, make it happen. That's what we're gonna plan to do is to do this year. More interviews, more guests. We're gonna bring, you know, we're gonna try to even diversify a bit if we can. A lot of big things going on and we're looking forward to it here. And I'm and once again, we want to see make it happen. Then last but not least, COVID. It is, it's here. Unfortunately, we're stuck with it. Not going away. But that doesn't mean that I, and I, I say this to just all parties, whether it's governments, businesses, people. That doesn't mean we you know we we have a right to Enforce our beliefs. Tell people what to do. Argue about everything here. I'm telling you right now. We need to have little heads. People need to come together. People need to live. Otherwise, it's going to be just a rotten couple of years. I don't see that happen. So, I'm hoping for a lot of things, you know, good tightness toward then peace on earth. I'm, I, I'm hoping 22 brings it. But 2021 was a tough year. As I said, let's we'll see if we can make it happen. We got to wrap this up. So once again, for my wonderful guests, all of these this past year, for my fantastic co-hosts, including Koska Akashova, including C. Lareen, and for my last two guests today, Rohi Raju and Ron Cobb. This is Chris Cars, you know, saying I'm out of here. Enjoy the rest of your years. A few hours left. We will, and I will see you guys in a new year with some more brand new guests, more spanking big things, all this and more. Only on Last Call. Last Call with the alcohol, only on the Blue Wire Hustle Network.